Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at what's called the temptation of Christ. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of a temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence, from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, would you thank you again for the privilege and opportunity this hour to open your word. And Lord, I pray as we look into your word today that we'd quiet our hearts before you and give attention to your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. That might be for our good and for thy glory. Father, we do pray if there be any in our midst who are not, have never been born again, repented of their sin, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. I pray today that they'd realize their sin, their need, and repent and trust Christ. So have your will and your way. May you be glorified. Help us to grow in a grace and knowledge of thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've titled this message, Armed for Victory Over Sin. You know, though the devil is a very formidable foe, an adversary to us, you know, God has graciously provided for us a means to have victory over him and the sin that so easily besets us. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh around, around about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now the lion, of course, is considered the king of beasts. And so it's obvious, Peter is telling us, we have a very formidable foe. In fact, even when Jude tells us that Michael the archangel, when speaking with the devil, durst not rebuke him, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I believe we're given an example by our Lord Jesus how to overcome the enemy of our souls, how to be victorious over him. You know, this is called the temptation of Christ, and temptations come in, in many forms. The Bible says that Abraham did tempt God. In other words, he tried him. He tested him. Uh, Job was tried. And it was, by the way, it was the devil who was behind those trials of Job. Trying to prove to God that if God didn't favor Job, Job wouldn't serve him. However, the devil was proven wrong. And so... So we see here, there's, there's several things I want to notice. There, I, have, I have two points and then some, some sub-points. Uh, first of all, I want, if we're going to overcome or be victorious over our enemy and over sin in our life, we have to understand the subtlety of the devil. We have to understand the subtle, subtlety of the devil. Uh, in verses 2 and 3 it says this, Being forty days tempted of the devil... And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he, would, he afterward hungered. So, he, so he, will, 
as we, as we think about the subtlety of the devil, you know, he, the Bible says in Ephesians that, that you know, we have to stand against the wiles or the tricks or the deception of the devil. As we think about this, in this particular instance, he will appeal to our fleshly passions. Here Jesus is. He's fasted 40 days, and he's hungry. You know, though he is God, he's also a man. And he was hungry. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul speaks of this when he says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of course that's speaking about Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, he will appeal to our fleshly passions. Uh, Romans 13, 14 talks about those uh, fleshly passions uh, where it says, We put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Uh, and, and, you know, we see in our society what we're seeing take place with, with the, the lawlessness is the fruit of, of generations of parenting of unrestrained passion, letting children do what they want. Not restraining their passions. No discipline. You see, a child left to himself will bring it his mother to shame. One commentator said, By this we also see how temptation works. Satan appeals to legitimate desires within Jesus, the desire to eat and survive. Satan suggests that Jesus fulfill his legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. So, he, legitimately, he was hungry. He, he, he needed to eat. He was 40 days fasting. David Brown and Jamin Frosted Brown, uh, uh, commentating on Matthew 4, said this, and I quote, The sensation of hunger, unfelt during all the 40 days, seems now to come on in all its keenness. No doubt to open a door to the tempter, of which he is not slow to avail himself. Thou still, and you know, this is kind of maybe what the tempter could say. Thou still clingest to that vainglorious confidence that thou art the Son of God, carried away by those illusionary scenes at the Jordan. Thou was born in a stable, but thou art the Son of God. Hurried off to Egypt for fear of Herod's wrath, but thou art the Son of God. A carpenter roof supplied thee with a home. In obscurity, a despicable town of Galilee, thou hast spent thirty years, yet still thou art the Son of God. And a voice from heaven, it seems, proclaimed it in the, thine ears at the Jordan. But it is so, but after that, surely thy days of obscurity and trial should have an end. Why linger for weeks in this desert, wandering among the wild beasts and craggy rocks, unhonored, unattended, unpitied, ready to starve for one of the necessities of life? Is this befitting the Son of God? At the bidding of the Son of God, surely those stones shall all be turned into loaves in a moment. Present an abundant repast. In other words, why should the Son of God be hungry? 
Why should you live in obscurity? Why should you be deprived of all these things? You're the son of God. Make bread out of stones. Why not? Isn't that how he appeals to you and I? So he'll appeal to our fleshly passions and desires. He will also tempt us when we are emotionally most easily affected. Notice verse 5. It says, The devil taking them up into that high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, you might say, Stop, wait, wait a minute here, the devil doesn't have that power. Yes, he does. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit that now worketh the energy that works in the children of disobedience. You know, and, 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 uh, and Jesus didn't refute that. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed over the dominion of the earth to Satan. They became subservient to him. Because dominion was given to them by God. And so he had that authority. And so he said, I will deliver them unto thee, whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore worship me, all shall be thine. And of course, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So yes, he is the God of this world. But as you think about what he's proposing here to the Lord Jesus, uh, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 18, John chapter 18, John chapter 18, verse 34, Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am. To this end was I born. To this end. I want you to think about that phrase. To this end was I born. So Jesus was born to be a king. Yet what's he facing? Where is he? Well, he was born to peasant parents. He lived in Nazareth. He did flee from Herod. He spent 30 years in obscurity submitting himself to his earthly parents. And, but he's born to be a king. You know, Revelation speaks of that kingdom. Revelation chapter 11. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 11, verse uh, 15. says, And the seventh angel sounded and said, the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Chapter 12, verse 10 again. And I heard the loud voice saying in heaven, 
Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 that in his time he's going to show who's the only potentate, king of kings, and lord of lords. In his time. But see, he was born to be a king. But now he is humiliated. In Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found as a, man, a fashion of men, he humbled himself, even unto death, even the death of the cross. Acts 8.33 says, In his humiliation, his judgment is taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? He could, he could have said, You know what? I don't want to wait till that day to me. Why do I have to be humiliated? Why do I have to suffer? I was born to be a king. I mean, we are God's children. Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to be different from the world? You know, I've heard Christians say, why does, quote, why does the world have to have all the fun? Quote, unquote. I was reminded, it was hunting yesterday, Brother Hoyle was telling about some, I guess it was co-workers that they go out and, and they drink. Yeah, they go out to have a good time, then to have some good fellowship, you know, guys of the world. And, and, but they always drink. They like to drink. And they end up going separate ways because they don't enjoy each other's company after they start drinking. You call that fun? I don't call it fun. But, you know, that's the mindset of some. You know, and, and Jesus could have said, why can't I be king now? I was born to be a king. Why do I have to suffer? Become sin for unthankful, undeserving sinners. Here he's offered an attempt at the kingdom without the cross. Now, if you were in that situation, would that appeal to your emotions? You know, as I thought about this, you know, the nature of youth requires submission. It requires humility. It requires submitting to parents because of their lack of wisdom and experience of years. They are most susceptible to false illusions of the devil. It's just the way it is. I believe that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? He emphasized a young man. Many young people have grown up in a fake world without sacrifice, without hardship. They've had everything given to them and have no clue as to the responsibilities of real life. Like the prodigal, they cast off the restraints of their parents for the false glamour the world offers, seeking immediate gratification but with eternal loss. 
Bob Jones Sr. used to say, quote, don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate, unquote. You know, we must, we must understand that we are not being kept from the good by obeying God's word, but being kept for what is best. You know, continue reading Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. James 4 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 2 Peter 5, 6 and 7, casting all your care upon him. You know, no, no, um, that's not how it starts. That's verse 7. Verse 6, um, verse, yeah, 2 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So we must understand the subtlety of the, of the devil. He comes at us when we're weakest. He knows our weaknesses. And he knows our strengths. Second thing, we must use, if we're going to have uh, overcome, uh, 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 have victory over sin, we must use the armaments God has given us. You know, 1 Peter 4, 1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves. And the idea there is putting on armament. Arm yourself. Likewise with the same mind. Oh, that, that word mind there has the way of act, the way we act or way of thinking. Uh, so we're to arm ourselves. Now how did the Lord Jesus arm himself? Well, first of all, he was filled with the Spirit. Notice verse 1 says, And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he was filled with the Spirit. That word filled or full there simply means to be thoroughly permeated through every part. Thoroughly permeated through every part. You know, he was, he was directed, and then, of course, it says he was led by the Spirit. So he was directed. He was controlled. He, he, you know, everything he did was, was of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and the right of fame of him, and through all the region round about. Uh, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, the idea is he's full of the Spirit. He's thoroughly permeated with the Spirit of God. And if we want to be, one of the part of the armor is, if, 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 uh, to arm ourselves, is we have to be under the, the influence or the control or the direction of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 28 29, Jesus said, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. So he cast out devils by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else how could one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So what is it that gives my body life, gives me victory over the lusts of the flesh? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Speaks much about this. Romans 8, verse 11. Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell on you, the Spirit of, the Spirit of God, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior uh, from the sin, the spirit of God takes up residence, he then dwells, and he quickens. That word quickens, quicken means to make alive or to give life to. And it's life that over to overcome the lust of the flesh. Uh, Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, again, it's through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, of the body, I'm sorry, ye shall live. So, so the, 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 the Spirit of God gives us, quickens our mortal bodies, this body in which we live, to give us victory over the lusts of the flesh. You know, Jesus said in John 63, 6.63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. And again in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So when I have the Spirit of God, God provides me with the, the power and the authority by the Spirit of God to overcome this mortal body and its lust. Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what that tells me? If I'm walking in the flesh, I'm not walking in the spirit. That's rocket science, isn't it? I'm not full, filled with the spirit. Now, I have all the spirit of God I'm ever going to get. It's how much of me does he have. Now, Jesus is full of the spirit. He never spake in tongues. He never handled snakes. He never did, did that kind of stuff. But he was full of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25 and 26. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and greater, and have overcome them. And it's talking about here about false spirits or false teaching. Because greater is he that is in you. He's talking about the Spirit of God there. Greater is who that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, if we're going to overcome temptation, we have to be filled with the Spirit. It's part of the armament. And, and Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, number two, he lived in obedience to every word of God. Notice verse 4. It says, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, every, every, every time here that Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus comes back with a verse of Scripture. Now, you know, he quotes uh, Deuteronomy 8, 3, and, and, and verse, verse 3, verse 4, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he quotes Deuteronomy 10, 20 uh, in verse... Uh, uh, Eight, 
And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 in, uh, in verse 12. Uh, but he didn't just quote scripture. I mean, you can quote scripture all day long and, and quote more scriptures than I can. That doesn't mean you're going to have victory over sin. He not only quoted it, he obeyed it. That's the important part. That's the victory part. He obeyed it. He did what it said. You know, John 8, 29 says, Then said Jesus in them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, for the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So he didn't just quote it. He, he obeyed it. He obeyed it. And he didn't just obey some of it. There's a very important word here in verse 4, and it's the word every. Every. You know, we have a lot of people nowadays who call themselves Christians that like certain parts, don't like other parts, and they come to the Bible like it's some smorgasbord at the restaurant where you go up and just take what you want and leave the rest. That's not what he gave us his Bible, his word for. In Matthew 5, 17, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and Pharisees were good at obeying the parts they liked. For example, Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. And Jesus rebuked them for this on several occasions. But in Luke 4, 11, 42, he says, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God, these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Sure, you should tithe of your mint and your rue and all those things, but you don't leave out judgment and love. You see, Satan quoted the Bible. He quoted it. In, in here in, here in, our, in our text, in verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> Verse 10 and 11, I'm sorry. <clears throat> it says, for it is written. So he's quoting scripture. Satan's got a Bible under his arm. He's quoting scripture. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou dash thy foot against them. So he's quoting scripture. The only problem is he left out a phrase. The phrase that, would, that he didn't want in there. The phrase is, in all thy ways. You see, verse 10 should say, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So if you're walking with God, God will keep you. But if you aren't 
obeying God, God isn't guaranteeing that. You see, people like to quote verses that fit them. But does God promise to provide and protect us? Yes, but there is a condition. We walk in his ways. We keep his commandments. When we walk in fellowship with him, God's word, you know, God's promise to protect. But God's word will not help you when you walk contrary to his will. The only thing that he will promise you and assure you is of judgment and of chastening. See, Jesus' victory over Satan's temptation here, one of the, one of the, kings, the keys was that he lived in obedience to the word of God, all of it. But well, there's a third thing. <clears throat> third armament. He submitted himself to the Father's will for his life. Now, there's two things I want to mention here. Number one, as we think about it, the Father's will for his life, the Father's time restraints. Now, I sort of alluded to this before. You know, he was born to be a king. And Satan offered him a counterfeit kingdom. Now, Jesus was God in the flesh, of course. And we know from Scripture that all the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms. He's going to destroy them all. Daniel chapter 2 tells us that. Daniel chapter 7 tells us that. Then Revelation. They're all going to submit to him one day. But he was born to be a king, and so Satan offers him a counterfeit. But you know, he was he he was he was willing to submit to his father's will to his father's time. By the way, he's still waiting. He's still waiting for his kingdom. There's a lot of examples of this in the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> you know, and I guess, you know, many times I, I, it's easier for us older people to make application to younger people is to think about time restraints. Because, you know, us older people, you know, when we were growing up, you know, you couldn't wait to drive, and then you couldn't wait to get married, and you couldn't wait to, you know, you had to do this, and, and, and then when you get older, you think, I wish I was still back there. Uh, and so, you know, you, you want to you hurry up, and you don't want to wait on the Lord's timing. But, you know, it's still true in us old people's lives, too. Uh, sometimes we don't, we don't want to wait on the Lord, but, but we need to wait on the Lord's timing. Sometimes, some things we have to wait for. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 17 says, When the time of the promise drew nigh, in other words, the promise to the children of Israel that he made to Abraham, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Drop down to verse 23. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, children of Israel, speaking about Moses. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. 
So when Moses is 40 years old, he's been trained to be a soldier. He's been trained to be a military leader, to be a commander. You know, so he just figures that, hey, children of Israel will surely understand that I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to deliver them out of Egypt. Maybe because it was not time. Look at verse uh, 30. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. You know, it kind of reminds me of Galatians 4, 4 where it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law that he might redeem them who are under the law. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, time to pluck up that which is planted, time to kill, time to heal, time to break down, time to build up, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance, time to cast away stones, time to gather stones together, time to embrace, time to refrain from embracing, Time to get, time to lose, time to keep, and time to cast away, time to rend, and time to sow, time to keep silence, and time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. There's a time to everything. And we have to wait on God's timing. He submitted to his himself to his father's will to his father's time restraints remember I think it's in John chapter 7 where his brethren in other words blood brethren came to him and said go ye up to the feast and show yourself and this is what he said your time is always, but my time is not yet. It's not time for me to go yet and be crucified. That's what he's really referring to. It's not time yet. But when he came to that time, he said, the hour is at hand. The hour is at hand. Now it's time. You see, he submitted to the Father's time. He also submitted to the Father's methods. Look at verses 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 4. Verses 10 and 11. The Father's methods. Verse 10 says, For it is written, this is the devil quoting scripture, trying to, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So here he's submitting, we could say he's submitting to the Father's methods. Again, Satan left out a part of that verse in verse 10, which is a, which is a, uh, a quotation out of Deuteronomy. And, and he left out, in all thy ways. Now, think about it. What he's saying to him is, hey, jumping off and being borne up by the angels 
would certainly convince everyone that you are the Son of God. Would it not? Sounds great, doesn't it? Would it not prove to everyone that he is the Son of God? Would it not convince everyone? Well, did the miracles he do convince everyone? No. So would be jumping off the pinnacle of the temple and being borne up by the angels convince everyone he's the Son of God? You know, there were some preachers years ago here in the South that I read about to prove they were men of God brought in rattlesnakes and were bitten. To prove that they could take up deadly serpents and it would not hurt them. And some of them died. And some of them were treated at the hospital and survived. See, what they were trying to prove is that I am a man of God. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not taking up a serpent. I don't want near him. In other words, that is not God's way. By the way, Paul didn't seek a viper to prove those on the island of Maleta that he was an apostle. No, everybody was gathering sticks and throwing them on the fire, and it so happened that when he was sitting by the fire warming his hands, one came out and bit him. See, everybody thought it was a stick until then. No, the Lord was showing himself, but Paul wasn't proving himself. See, this is not God's way. It's not God's method. One commentator said this, Preservation in danger is divinely pledged. Shall I create danger? Either to put the promised security skeptically to, to proof or wantonly to demand a display of it? That were to tempt the Lord my God, which being expressly forbidden, would forfeit the right to expect preservation. Unquote. I did friend of mine, he wasn't quite all there. But years ago, he was in a very bad uh, uh, accident. Uh, he was on a bicycle and a car hit him on a foggy morning. He was all busted up. Anyway, he worked on a farm where I was working, and, and, and he had gotten better and was able to, to work again, and he said, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove to the Lord that I am I, am, I, I can do all these things again. I'm gonna, one of these days, I'm going to climb that harvest store. That harvest store was 80 feet high. I said, John, that's tempting the Lord. You can't expect God to protect you if you attempt something foolish. And see, the devil here is attempting the Lord to do something foolish to prove who he is. Remember, we have no one to prove, nothing to prove, and no one to impress. No, we had to. The Lord Jesus submitted Himself 
to the Father's time restraints. He submitted himself to the Father's methods. He let his heavenly Father prove who he was. By the things that he did. So if we want to be victorious over the temptation to sin. You know, the, being tempted is not sin. Yielding to it is. Yielding to it is. We're all going to be tempted. It's whether I yield to it or not. And Jesus was victorious over the temptation to sin because he understood his adversary and he used the armaments God had given him. He was full of the Spirit. He obeyed every word of God. And he submitted to the Father's will for his life. What about you this morning? Are you being victorious over sin? And of course, to be victorious over sin, you have to, have to, know, you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from sin. You have to have the Spirit of God living within you. And the Bible says in Romans 8 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know, are you willing to submit to the Word of God and obey every Word of God and submit to the Father's will? Of course, the Father's will for your life is that you be born again. Christian, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you yielding to Him? You know his power in your life to overcome sin. You know, it all boils down to this. This all requires a steadfast faith in God and his word. You know, John said this in 1 John 5, 4, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you believe God's word's true? Jesus did. He said every word, every word. He believed it. And he was willing to wait on those promises that the Father had promised to him. And still is waiting. But they will be fulfilled. Might God help us to have victory over sin.